Good morning. Happy Father's Day to all you dads out there. Uh, thankful for you. Welcome to our gathering again this morning. Uh, we are in part three of our summer series called Lessons from Exile. We're looking at what God was doing in the experience of Israel as they were carried off into captivity in Babylon. And we're asking the question, uh, what does this have to say to us who in our, our time and our day feel like strangers, outsiders, exiles, even in our own home or our own land? Last time we looked at the role of anger in the life of an exile. And today we're going to look at God's first response to those who've been carried off into exile. And we're going to hear his heart for why they're in the situation that they're in. And this also happens to be one of the most uh, misunderstood verses in the entire Old Testament. So keep an eye out for a very familiar verse as we go through this passage from Jeremiah 29. We're going to start in verse 1. And it says, This is the text of the letter that the prophet, Isaiah, or prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. It said, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back from this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. When you call on me and come and pray to me, I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. In a world that disciples us to see ourselves as victims, to see hardships as an interruption to God's good life, and hatred is the way to deal with enemies, we declare this good news, that God is present and at work in the most unthinkable situations. 
And because this is true, it means that the season we find ourselves in today is not to be despised, but to be received as a gift. God has carried us this far. And he has plans that he wants to empower us for. Plans to seek the peace and prosperity of a hostile world. And we join God's plans by moving into the neighborhood, by resisting the empire, and by prayer. Um, the context, as we said last week, is that Babylon came in and destroyed the city of Jerusalem and carried off the sort of the best and the brightest that Israel had to offer into captivity. So that would have been the priests, the prophets, the leaders. Now, this was a, a practice that they did often. Why would they do this? It's because they wanted to assimilate Israel's kind of greatest people into Babylonian culture. And so they brought the leaders in so that eventually the nation would stop resisting the oppression that they were doing to this smaller nation. And the Israelites were on to their plan. And so what they did is they decided not to move into the city, but to settle outside on the Kabar Canal. And, the, and they had prophets among them who came to them and said, God is going to bring us home in just a couple years. So don't unpack your bags. Just try to like hold your nose and stay as clean as possible. Don't love this place. Don't get used to it. Uh, continue to hate the people that are here and God will get you out pretty quickly. And it turns out it was the, exactly the message that they wanted to hear. And they wanted to hear that Babylon is bad. We're helpless victims. This is a momentary interruption to the life that God wants for us. And so we have every excuse to go on hating our enemies and hunkering down until we can get the heck out of here. Does this message sound familiar to you? I think the same message is preached every single day by people both outside and inside the church. And I felt myself recently wanting to believe this message because frankly, it's easier than the one I'm about to preach today. I don't know about you, but I've, I've just felt an increased sense of sadness and frustration at, at what I'm seeing around the world these last three months. This world is in trouble. And there is an escalation of violence and hatred and division. And it's scary. And it's tiresome. And so the, the message of they're bad, we're good, let's just circle the wagons and get through this, is really, really attractive. Because I'm tired, to be honest with you. And I know many of you are too. But I just want to say that whether you're hearing this message either from the culture or religious leaders or your own heart, that God, through the prophet Jeremiah, has a different message. He says, don't give in to this message of victim mentality, self-preservation, or hatred, because it's not from me. I'm bringing an entirely different message, and it's a message of good news to you today. That I am present and at work in the most unthinkable 
situations. And so you don't need to despise this season, but you can receive it as a gift because I've carried you this far and I want you to join me and the plans that I have both for you and for the peace and prosperity of this hostile world that I've brought you into. And so will you move into the neighborhood? Will you resist the darkness? Will you pray? God gives them sort of three instructions. And the first one is to move into the neighborhood. In other words, make this place, make this world, make this state, make this township your home. Yes, it's broken. Yes, it's increasingly, it increasingly seems like no one believes what you believe. Yes, it's divided. Yes, it's hostile towards me in many ways. I know all that. But I want you to make it your home. Don't be one of those Christians who sees the world as a waiting room for heaven. Don't just come in and consume what you can from the world and then leave it unchanged. I mean, <laughs> think about the state of New Jersey, you know? Don't just take what it has to offer, go to the shore once in a while, and then make bad jokes about how it's the armpit of America. I mean, do all those things, but don't forget to be here. Don't forget to move in. Don't forget to participate in the life of your community. Why? Because as verse 4 says, God himself is the one who carried us into the situation that we find ourselves in. And he's saying, I know that Babylon is, I know it seems like Babylon and the world are the, are, the, are the ones who are responsible for everything that's taking place. I know it looks like the world is spitting out of control, but know this, I am present and at work and I have plans for you. Both to refine you through this situation and also to fill you in ways that you couldn't have been if you were cloistered in your own homogeneous ghetto. You can't sink your head into the sand. I haven't given you that option. This is what the Lord means when he says in verse 11, the, the words that are so famous to us, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. This is what prosperity looks like. Build houses. Don't just pitch tents until you're out of there. Plant gardens and don't just eat what they produce, but create commerce in this place. Marry and have kids and then marry those kids off. Settle down and, and, and have joy-filled celebrations when you do so. Why? Because you're going to be there for a while. So get used to this. This is the new normal. Yes, I will bring you back, but don't settle on the outside of the culture that I've sent you to. Move in close enough so that the problems that you see and experience become your problems too. I want you to feel the brokenness of the world. And so I, the question we have for ourselves is, have we done that? Now, I know many of you have. You've gotten to know your neighbors, you, you're, you're, you've thrown block parties, or you're thinking about throwing socially responsible block parties, whatever that looks like. You've joined the PTA. You've marched at... Black Lives Matter rallies, you started businesses, you're getting involved. I would just encourage you to, to keep getting involved. Keep looking for ways that the Lord wants to move you into the lives of other people so that you can experience what he sees in their lives.
But then as you do that, as you move into the neighborhood, he says, I want you to peacefully resist the values of Babylon. Don't become Babylonians. Now, what were the, the values of this nation called Babylon? Well, it's things like might makes right and join us or perish. Or hatred justifies violence and oppression. All the things that Israel, ironically, was on the receiving end of. And you would think, like, how would Israel, who is on the receiving end of these values that so devastated them, why in the world would they adopt those same values? And the answer is because they would do it in order to get back at Babylon for what they did to them. They would play Babylon's game. And God knew that that was going to be a temptation for them. And so he says, don't become them. We're going to say more about this when we get to the book of Daniel in a few weeks, but I feel like it needs to be said right now because of what I'm seeing in the world and what I'm seeing in my own heart and what I'm seeing in us. That hating Babylon won't change Babylon. It only turns us into Babylonians. And we're not here in this world to become like the world. We are here as citizens of God's kingdom of love. And so I understand why, would we, why we would be tempted to return hate with hate, to hate the haters, especially when people have done awful things in this world. I get it. But if not hate, then what are we supposed to do? What are we called to do? And I think verse 7 has the answer when God says to seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Seek the peace and prosperity of your enemies. Now, think about how shocking this is. Do you remember last week? Do you remember Psalm 137? I mean, I, I can just imagine uh, the Jewish people sitting in exile the, 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 the smell of the smoke of Jerusalem still in their nostrils, and they're going, what? Seek the peace? They dashed our children on rocks? And you want us to seek the prosperity of this place? Are you crazy? Can you relate to why they wanted to hear a different message than the one Jeremiah gave them? And yet, this is what we need to learn. I remember uh, I was listening to a prayer seminar recently by a black pastor who's personally experienced uh, incredible racism, but he also has the collective memory of his people who've experienced 400 years of systemic oppression and racism. And one of the things that he said in the workshop just stuck with me. He said this, he said, prayer is the only thing that keeps me from turning into those who seek to do me harm. Prayer is the only thing that's, that keeps me from turning into those who seek to do me harm. And so I pray, and we pray, and we pray for those who hate us, and we pray that God would change them, and we pray for hearts that would keep us from from descending into the cycles of hate that we see in our world. And he's right. 
The only thing that will break the chains of the evil one and all the violence and the hatred that he's brought upon our world is through prayerfully seeking the good of your enemies. Those are the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. That is what prosperity means for God's community, friends. And so I want to I suggest and even contend this morning that the primary way that we seek the good of this world, the primary way that we become empowered by God for sacrificially loving our neighbor, the primary way where, that we gain the stamina and the imagination needed to seek God's kingdom and to see it come and his will be done is through desperate, honest prayer. If I'm just being perfectly honest with you, though, prayer has been enormously difficult for me recently. And part of that is the uh, anxiety that I felt about a very imbalanced life. And I realized that a lot of uh, the peace that I experienced day to day had to do with the fact that I could send my kids off for hours at a time and have time alone with, with the Lord. And now they're home all the time. <laughs> and I'm home all the time. And so I don't have the balance that I, I sort of had before, the, the margin that I used to have to experience God's presence. And it's difficult because I've got other things to do and, I, and, and I'm, I'm, I find myself being discouraged or tired more frequently. Can you relate to that? And then sometimes when I do pray, I find that I swing back and forth between apathy and agitation. Yeah, I, I, I come into prayer and I'm apathetic and I just throw my hands up and I go, what can we possibly do? Or I, 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 I get sick of my own apathy and I get agitated. And then I, I come to the Lord and I go, we have to do something. <laughs> and that just leaves me more anxious. Apathy, agitation, and anxiety are not a great recipe for a full prayer life. Let me just say that. But I think the reason I'm so anxious is because if I'm just being perfectly honest with you, and you're my family, I can, I can, we can be honest with each other. I don't know how to love South Jersey well these days. I don't know how to love America well right now. I don't know what to do. And I, and I don't think I've, I remember a season, I'm sure it exists, but I just don't remember it. A season where I feel less equipped for God's mission than I do in this season. But family, here's what God is reminding me through this passage and this, this series. Is that prayer is for those who feel apathetic, agitated, and anxious. To the apathetic, prayer stokes the fires of our compassion for our neighbors. When we begin to pray for the people that we really dislike. And for the, the agitated, prayer is asking God to give us an imagination for what it looks like to live in this day. Not assuming that we know the answers, but laying ourselves before God. And to the anxious, which I think is all of us these days. Prayer teaches us how to rely on God alone for discernment rather than our own intellect and ingenuity. 
See, that, that's what gets me into trouble, is that I start to rely on myself for the answers, and, that, and I realize that I don't have them, and so I get anxious. And prayer reminds me that I don't need to be anxious because I don't need to have the answers. And just to be clear, this isn't a, um, a thoughts and prayers variety of prayer, where you sort of say a few words and you go back to seeking your own comfort. To be honest, that kind of prayer is a replacement for action, and that's not the kind of prayer that God is calling Israel or us to in these days. The kind of prayer that I'm talking about isn't a replacement for action, it's a preparation for action. It's the kind of prayer that says, Lord, we are powerless to push back the darkness of hell, and and we need you to show up and show us how to lay down our lives for our enemies like Jesus does for us. Until the day comes when your will is done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the kind of prayer that we're talking about. It's, it's not a kind of prayer that is sort of begging God to do what he doesn't want to do or trying to manipulate him into action. It's the kind of prayer that realizes that God is present, and that's the good news, that he's present and at work in the most unthinkable situations. And so he's given us this day as a gift to realize that he's carried us this far. And that he does have plans that he wants to empower us for. As we pray, plans to seek the peace and the prosperity of a hostile world. Friends, know this, that God cares far more about what's happening in the world today than you do. You don't have to twist his arm. You just have to join him. So I'm convinced that he wants to share his compassion and his wisdom for what to do. And he wants to share it with us today as we seek him, as we discern him. The world needs people that are full of compassion and wisdom. And that's why we pray. So as we respond this morning, I'd love for you to ask him these questions. Ask him these three questions based on the three things that we've talked about. Lord, in what ways are you calling me to move into the neighborhood? Or in what ways have I already moved into the neighborhood that you want to open my eyes to what's around me already? Secondly, how are you calling me to resist the hatred and demonization that is rampant in our culture? How are you calling me to resist? And then third, Lord, teach me how to pray. Teach me how to pray. And that's a great question to ask Jesus. Jesus' disciples have been asking Jesus that question since he was walking on this earth. And so we can ask him that too. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning that you care deeply about this world. That this season is not surprising to you in any way, but you are looking to partner and fill your people. Partner with us in ways where we can even seek the the peace and the prosperity of those that we deeply, deeply dislike and hate. God, help us not to be sucked into the, the vortex of demonization and hatred that we see in our world, but help us, Lord, to see 
the people around us as lost sheep in need of a shepherd. Father, we thank you that you are present and at work in this moment. Jesus, we thank you that you uh, are our Lord of all creation and the values that you are putting into our hearts today, values of self-sacrificial love, of compassion and wisdom based on, on your knowledge, not our own, all of these things that, that are part of the kingdom of God, one day they will cover this world as the waters cover the seas. And so Holy Spirit, come and empower us. Come and fill us. Come and open our minds and give us new imaginations for what it looks like to be your people in this place. We need you. Help us to discern what it is you're asking us to do. Prepare us, Lord, for action and help us to walk in it. In Jesus' name, amen.